This is the Indian Science Show, and I'm Turtle. On today's show, I interview Brett Stevenson. He descends from the Dena'ina, Athabascan, and Grovant peoples. He's a good friend and brother, and a super talented musician, as well as a flute carver, and he's worked as an arborist, and is now taking the plunge into graduate school. And he's just all around a great person, and I'm glad to know him. We talked about a little bit of his background in music, his battle with cancer, and how he eventually got healed. And he shares some beautiful perspectives on his love for birds, family, and at the very end of the episode, his three tips for being indigenous in the modern world. This was a good conversation, and I know his story really inspires me. Thanks for tuning in, and enjoy the interview. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the show. Today, I have a very special friend on, and I really wanted to bring him on the show because I feel like his story is one of the most inspiring and one of the most, in a lot of ways, it's almost unbelievable, but I also trust this guy more than I trust a lot of people, so... It's an honor to have you on the show today, Brett. Thank you, Turtle. Thanks for having me be here. Happy to be here. I just wanted to kind of, I remember back when we first met, the first thing that I noticed about you is that you show up. (laughs) And (laughs) although that's really simple, a lot of people don't show up. Yeah, I've seen that a lot. And what was it like? uh, Was it 2014? I believe so. That's when I started at SKC, Salish Kootenai College, where we met yeah. in our undergraduate level. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Good old undergraduate school. Yeah. <clears throat> I know I was, at, I was at the stage, too, where I thought that I was all professional and stuff. But looking back now, I still, I realize now that I still don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> but anyways, well, that's when okay. when I first got there... Uh, you were, I believe, in your fourth year there, mm-hmm. and I could tell that you had a lot of drive and passion throughout your time there and had made an impact. Uh, you were the president of the forestry club, correct? Yeah. Was was I the president still when you were there? Or I was think I... so. Okay. Because um, I know you signed up immediately to... The very first meeting, you raised your hand and yeah. jumped right into being a recycling coordinator. Yeah. Yep. So I was recycling coordinator. Tried to be. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Put our best effort into that. <laughs> mm, that was quite the adventure. That really, I learned a lot, of, I think, by going through that kind of that process of, in a lot of ways, it was a failure. It wasn't really epic, but it was, it didn't, <laughs> definitely didn't hit the goals. No, certainly not. And I think that uh, I had a lot of gusto when I first showed up. Uh, I had a lot of faith in myself that I could make a lot of stuff happen. Um, And it was kind of a good wake-up call in some ways about uh, if you want to see real change uh, Hmm. in a way that you think is good, it's probably going to be much more difficult than you imagined in the first place. And so you're going to have to be ready to take on those challenges, too. Mm. So I think doing that early in my undergraduate helped me mentally prepare for the rest of the my academic career, really. I totally agree that it's, it's one of the best ways to prepare yourself is to just jump in mm-hmm. and just do it. Just show up. And this is something that... One of my mentors back in Syracuse brought up in one of our conversations was that that's most of the time that's all you got to do. You just got to right. show up. Mm-hmm. And I was really curious to know, just from your perspective, where did that drive come from? Why did you have so much <laughs> drive when you first showed up to a, a new school like that? Well, that's uh, a long story. Um, Hmm. which I can give kind of a lot of the bullet points on. Uh, But uh, so to go way back, (laughs) 
uh, probably starting when I was around 16. Uh, back then, I'm 31 now, and so back then, I was really into music and recording music uh, and performing live. And when I was 16, I, I dropped out of high school to go work in a pretty fancy recording studio in Seattle, Washington. Um, and from that position, I got hired on a lot of other music business related jobs and was pretty successful in, in some ways. Um, I got to work at really big recording studios all over the country. Um, I got to travel the world, uh, playing with other bands as a hired musician. Uh, worked for a few record labels and yeah, I got to experience quite a lot doing that. Um, but early in my life, or not early, it's still, yeah, mm. <laughs> about, about when I was 18, mm -hmm. um, however, I was diagnosed with brain cancer, glioblastoma, uh, gliotoma blastoma, yeah, which is pretty rough kind of cancer. Uh, so I had to do chemotherapy for a number of years, uh, kind of all mixed up in, in a timeline because from when I was first diagnosed, uh, I did achieve remission just from taking chemotherapy and having it treated. So I, I would go through a treatment and then I would have a few years where it was gone and then it would come back for a bit. And this continued on, uh, gosh, probably until I was about 24 um, and it just got real bad this one time. <clears throat> I was taking gamma knife radiation to your brain, which is a lot, a lot what it sounds like. We could imagine that's really what it is. Wow. Did you say gamma knife? Gamma knife is the name of a tool that they use that sh shoots gamma rays inside Dang. your body. <laughs> that, sound, that doesn't sound very radiation appealing. treatment. Yeah. yeah. And so, uh, it didn't really work, and uh, they couldn't give me more within a certain timeline because it's just, you know, there's only so much of that the human body could take. They were able to give me a, a pretty good amount because I was otherwise young and healthy. Mm. Uh, it's really hard to do that to older people, you know. Um, anyhow... It didn't really work, and eventually what ended up saving my life was traditional ceremony, which I came back to right around that time and for that purpose. Um, my mother had done a lot of work getting my families reconnected with our cultural ways and got us introduced to some people who had kept medicine alive for a long time, and... Uh, and it ended up working. And so I got much better. <laughs> hmm. um, my parents are professors. So uh, <clears throat> as I got better from that, I decided to retire from music and pursue an academic career, which is funny because it's mm -hmm. something that I always said that I never needed to do was go to college because I worked with like audio engineers who had also dropped out of high school, but now they had Grammys or whatever. I had seen the path of how you could be successful without needing uh, a degree. Yeah, yeah. So after I recovered from cancer, I had a, a break just kind of in life for a few years, had a few random jobs and really took some time to think about what I wanted to do with my life. Uh, I read some really good books that influenced me. Uh, uh, one of them is Blood Struggle by Charles Wilkinson. And it just covers a long history of uh, federal legal cases between different tribes over the years. It's a super long book. 
and it's really sad for <laughs> most of it, you know. Mm. But then in the 1950s and 60s and 70s, there becomes these real victories for certain tribes. Termination was ended, and and a lot of that stuff was done by normal people, you know, like you and me, that decided maybe even if they didn't have the best education, they would still go for that challenge and figure out a way to make positive changes in Indian country. And through that, reading those experiences, I felt that I could totally be that way. You know, I have a lot of faith that we as humans can do pretty much anything we want to. It's just about how much time you have in life to do it. So I decided to go to school, wanted to go to tribal college because I wanted to work with tribes and I really care about the environment and environmental issues. And so uh, through that book, I really was interested in becoming a lawyer even at first. Oh, wow. Like what, what kind of lawyer? Environmental like, law. Uh, yeah. For tribes. So mm. be a, just go fight with the government over <laughs> environmental issues. Stop trying to be somebody who can stop pipelines all that kind of stuff. Yeah, I could totally see That was what I saw in my head for myself. Yeah. Yeah. But I got these neck tattoos, and I thought that law would be something I would get kind of burnt out on. So so I felt, why not be a scientist who can provide, uh, you know, quantified evidence to the lawyers that they can use to argue with. So... Then I asked what was the best environmental tribal college. And through all the people I asked about it, SKC was the only one I heard of. Everybody suggested it. Most of those references were from uh, American Indian Studies faculty at University of Washington. Do you think that having that early success with your passion and music do you think that had a role to play in that drive that you had when you did decide to get into academic stuff yeah well I it was it worked out to be a totally a benefit Mm -hmm. Uh, but I was really nervous at first because you know I dropped out of high school when I was 16 I didn't know how well I was gonna do in academics again because I would just always skip school, was never interested. Hmm. You know. That sounds very, very familiar. <laughs> <laughs> That's a trip. You know what? Yeah. I dropped out when I was 16 as well. Mm-hmm. I was my sophomore year. Wow. Were you a sophomore too? Yeah, well, I was a rising junior. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah, so you're in that weird kind of weird age, 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 age range. Yeah. yeah, Yeah. so uh, it definitely helped me, but at first I was nervous. After my first quarter, I was like, oh, I could totally do this. Hmm. Um, I know it's going to be hard in a different way, but I've seen myself, you know, go from being on tour in a, in a little van with no money to being on a big bus tour, playing in arenas and big theaters. So uh, I know those accomplishments can be done. And I think I did kind of the same thing with school so far. So, yeah, it's a big influence on having drive. Also, just just through my life experience and the way that I was healed, it really gave me a lot of respect for uh, life and the systems that sustain life. And so I wanted to help protect that. Mm. And that is when you become close to death and plants and water and those kind of things are used to save your life, you really want to give back. So I think that's where a lot of my drive is like a deep personal longing to give back to what's keeping me here and keeping me alive yeah. and, and the relationships that sustain it. Wow, that's awesome. Do you feel like it's like a responsibility? 
Or would you describe it differently than kind of, yeah. kind of? I would I would try to describe it differently. Mm-hmm. Um, in some ways, it is. You know, there was things I had to sacrifice and pay for for it to happen, um, as well as my family and everything. So, I think there's a responsibility in that but it's not like uh i don't know it's not it's like this harsh connotation yeah, with right? that word right no it's like i love the relationship that i have with yeah it. and that's cool. and that's, that's what I was and too. that's where it's the relationship that i have that's what i enjoy maintaining so you and i are great friends right and i I like to visit with you and do things, uh, but I don't feel like our relationship is a responsibility. That's an interesting take on that. I guess I don't think about the negative connotation to that word that much, but yeah, I know growing up for most of my life, there definitely was one. Yeah. That's kind of, that's something grownups have. I don't want to have responsibilities, <laughs> but as I got older and especially now, it's taken on a different meaning in a lot of ways to where it's not just something you have to do. It's something that you get to do and it's like an honor and a privilege. And I don't know if I've talked to you about this before, but there's a saying that I heard and I wish I remember where I heard this, but it's uh, like a, it's kind of like a a flip on what uncle Ben said in Spider-Man about responsibility with great, power comes great responsibility but also the way the saying goes is that with great responsibility comes great power yeah and that it's like that feedback loop and i think you really said it well when you use the word love that i think that's really what it is yeah and i know that i i learned that more and more the more i spend time in ceremony and the more i spend time around elders and around people that know how like how we are meant to live, depending right. on where you're at. Right. Like, uh, like having, like I have a really deep, intimate relationship with water. Mm. I don't think it's never just a glass of water. You know, one of my kind of instructions when I was recovering from my illness was that every time I touched water at all, I had to pray and thank the water every single time. If it rained, if I washed my hands, every time I shower, you know, and for, you know, it was advised to do that for two years straight. Make sure you do that every single time. And that really just stuck with me. And it's something I just do now because I have a relationship with water and it's one that's super life-sustaining, and really love, too. I love water. Mm, Yeah, me too. I'm really grateful for it. (laughs) So, but that is, like, understanding the perspectives of being connected with the environment on that way, I think, also has to be really personal and individual. How do you feel that has influenced your your life, not just in academia, but just in general, going through that process of healing, but how it wasn't just like someone healing you, but really you had to, had an active role to play in that. I'm just, I guess what I'm curious about is how do you feel that going through all that and then coming through it on the other side, how do you feel that affected your ability to show up and to really be present with yourself and to do all these different things that you've done? Well, uh, I really changed me. I am an entirely different person than I was before. Just entirely different. Um, so, and I really created an environment and space for myself to kind of reinvent myself in that time. Hmm. Um, 
And that's when I really started watching birds a lot. Um, I needed an activity that was healthy, but not super strenuous on my body, you know? And so I got uh, binoculars and a bird book. And where I was living at the time, I actually had a pretty cool diversity of bird species that I could see even just off my back porch. Started learning how to identify them myself, you know. And uh, it just became this activity that was fun and healthy and exciting as well. Uh, every time I saw a new species, I would, you know, it's almost like a high, you know, just mm. get all excited and write it down. Uh, so I just got nerdy. I guess I was also part of my personality to get a little bit obsessive, especially when it's a topic I I have some kind of passion on the inside for. Yeah. <clears throat> and I really just put a lot of my energy into it. And so I did that with birding. <laughs> and that's how I ended up in the wildlife and fisheries side. Hmm. But yeah. And yeah, that, so do you do you feel like your love for birds is is that why you decided to go down the academic route you did or is it do you think it's both kind of like this more holistic it's thing kind where, of everything, yeah. Yeah, it's the the ceremony and the medicine and then yeah. What was it that, I guess if you could put your finger on one thing, what was it that Hmm. drew you to birds versus something else uh, in the natural world? Well, that also I feel is uh, a combination of things. There's Mm -hmm. the ceremony personal side that I have with them. Mm -hmm. And then what I like about birds is that they're in all environments. So they're deep underwater emperor penguins can dive something like 2,000 feet something crazy and then there's a uh, eagle or vulture in Africa that that's been recorded over 36,000 feet high so like way higher like that's higher than Everest right oh yeah Everest is 26,000 26 yeah so yeah and they're everywhere man Mm mm-hmm in the Arctic, they can. Some can fly all the way around the world. An albatross can fly something like a hundred thousand miles in its life, easy. Especially because they're long lived. Yeah, and they're huge and heavy too, right? Yeah, big, big, big clunky, birds. big clumsy birds. I, yeah. Are those they're, they're the ones that got to run to take off? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I remember them. The that gets me thinking of that movie, um, Rescuers Down Under, where <laughs> yeah. they fly out on the albatross, <laughs> and he's just like the biggest dork. Uh, that's, that was one of my favorite movies when I was a kid. Yeah. Did you get into those kinds of movies about nature and or like d- dog books? There's like White Fang and Big Red and all yeah. these other dog books out there that were like about. Usually saw a boy and his dog in nature yep. having adventures. Oh, yeah. That's always fun. And and other nature stuff in general. Mm-hmm. Really, from the cartoony to the actual more scientific nature shows with, yeah. like, David Attenborough and stuff. Huh. I liked him since I was a kid. Well, I didn't always know he was him when I was younger, but... He's been narrating stuff pretty much my whole life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Annie and I actually just talked about him on our last show, and we were kind of thinking, well, who has the better voice, Dave Attenborough or Morgan Freeman? Oh, man. And we, I think we settled on Morgan Freeman, but we were like, well, Dave Attenborough's he's a scientist guy too, so yeah, he that kind of gives him like a, a bump up um, because he's also... Got an awesome voice. <laughs> I think it talks, it depends on the situation. Like, Morgan Freeman did the Penguin movie documentary, mm-hmm. and he was good. Mm-hmm. But I think that David Attenborough is better for that kind of narration. Yeah. But overall, voice 
you know, there's certain movies where it would make no sense to have David Attenborough. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, for real. But perfect sense to have Morgan Freeman. They're they're tied, in my opinion. Uh, But yeah, I was always interested in nature and looking at bugs. And I spent a lot of time outside as a kid. Climbed a lot of trees. That's right. You were an arborist for a while, weren't you? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So you've done so many different things. And what really blows me away is that... So you went through this healing, and it wasn't the medical doctors, the Western doctors that healed you, that everything they tried didn't work. But when you went back to a... You found an indigenous or traditional Mm -hmm. healer. And that did work. Yeah. And what just blows my mind is that you came through that. And on the other side, you brought, just from my perspective, you brought healing to other people's lives too, through your, just through your story. But personally, see, I I grew up going to ceremonies, but when I was a teenager, I, by my own choice, I totally just stopped and I stopped dancing. I stopped going to powwows, pretty much everything. And Slowly, I started coming back to my ways in my 20s. But then I met you, and I hadn't sundanced for since I was a kid, since I was a young teenager. And I hadn't even considered it. I was, like, taking baby steps. But then you invited me to the lodge. And almost immediately, I knew that I should go, even though I was skeptical, for sure. And I can't even begin to touch on how much healing that has come into my life and especially to my family, all this different, this good medicine that I've been able to bring to my family that I got directly from that lodge. I I can't help but think of you and and your story and that you got so much healing out of it. But uh, it's it's so awesome. It's hard to really for me to put into words because I guess... I guess just because it's so awesome, like truly that just awe inspiring. Like I got to sometimes I I feel like I just need to take a step back and like kind of have a jaw dropped type of a moment thinking about the whole thing. Because you mentioned it a little bit ago about how it's it's not just this one thing, but there's this whole like the whole situation. Right. The context of it. I guess with all that, like the context of how you came through that healing and um and did so well in in your undergraduate studies how do you feel like that's going to help you move forward now that you are going to graduate school um or you're you're moving forward with your life and and then especially since you've experienced that non-academic success how you see that coming back to the community and back to indigenous people um not just academically or scientifically but in a lot of ways, there's a bigger picture here, right? It's not just about the science. Totally. <laughs> but what, how can we use these tools in our community? So I, I think I just asked you like three or four no, questions. No, I got it all. I got it. <laughs> yeah. So uh, first off, I'm grateful for, you know, what's happened for me and grateful for people like you that are in, came into my life. Uh, and I, but I really understand that I'm, I'm there's a story to my life that is really useful, but there's also I'm I'm part of much bigger story, you know, not just with my healing, but my family and then my family's family. Mm. And I'm really lucky to have a wide diversity of friends and family friends, a big family. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, And. Uh. So that's my family's been a big strength for me in in a lot of being able to maintain my drive and passion. And now that I am headed towards graduate school, I think that uh, the the ceremonies that help me, you know, now that I'm not just I don't need it to be healed right now. You know, it's just good to do you know, and it's good for my life. It's good for those relationships to get maintained uh, for future people to have when they're in situations like I was. Uh, 
I think that consistency translates into a lot of my drive and my consistency in showing up to do well. And it like it creates a structure, you know, there's pipe ceremonies at different times or this these ceremonies at different times. And I know they're they're coming up and I work up for them and I do that I can it helps give me I guess the strength to do that for like a quarter system or whatever we're on too. <laughs> mm. Oh yeah. But one thing I know is that it's hard to keep doing the same thing for a long time. Uh, you get you get just jaded. I got super jaded in the music industry, you know. All music didn't just sound good at one point, you know, even though it was something I deeply loved. But it's important to keep going on the things you feel passionate about. And so I feel like I'm going to be able to get through grad school and do something that gives back to the community and take that further along into a professional career as well. Mm -hmm. But I would be frightened to do that without ceremony in my life. Yeah, it's like it gives a, a certain sense of certainty to life in such an uncertain world. Is you, you know what's coming. And it's not just about the ceremony, but what it represents about the the bigger world and yeah. what the cycles going on and around yeah. us and within us. So I, I can definitely relate with that. I know it. I feel very similar that I don't think I would have gotten through the last year without being able to go sweat that was huge and now that now that i think back on it i know that i i I wouldn't i I at least wouldn't have done as well and i barely got a (laughs) 3.0 like i just barely squeaked by yeah so yeah the it's like a whole new level of challenge once you're out of uh, undergraduate school even just to go on and try to like find a job it's tough so i i really got to remember that it's very true for me too i wouldn't be able to be successful without the ceremonies in my life and without my family right i know that's (laughs) i know that's really true for you no it's the same thing and both of us I didn't know this when I met you, but maybe it was kind of being channeled through you, but just how awesome your family is <laughs> and going and sweating with your family over the last year, really, I, I got to know them a little better and realized, wow, I have a, so much respect for you guys. We got a, a big it's huge family. <laughs> yeah, a huge, diverse family. And what really just, what I really love about it is how close you guys are, depending on, I mean, no matter how different you are you're one of the closest knit families i've ever met and it's very rare even though native communities are very close-knit the assimilation process has done a lot to separate us and i know here on the flathead res all these square boxes and all (laughs) these lines and neighborhoods the way they're structured definitely doesn't help but yeah, there's just so much to overcome to be able to come together. And I know that I've learned a lot just by seeing how learning about how your family came together. And I love that you guys that you did uh Dungeons and Dragons and yeah. And that's just I think that's so adorable. Yeah. And we it's just play a, a lot cool. of games. And that one is one that you know, you really have to like the people you're playing with and work together to defeat, like, you know, dragons and stuff. Mm-hmm. And so everybody's got to be clear on their decisions and patient enough to get through it because it takes a long time, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I remember playing for like a whole day yeah. when I was a kid. So, uh, yeah, it was a really good family exercise, team building exercise. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, when I I think when people first meet me, they're a little confused. Uh, 
some of the ways I, I look, where I've been in life, the order at first glance doesn't really make sense to people, you know. But when they meet my family, I think it clicks. Oh, this is why he's like that. Mm, yeah. <laughs> that makes more sense. So they've all heavily influenced me and, and helped me quite a bit. Yeah. And me too. And I've only been around your family for a few years now. And really only the last year because it's always it was just always at Ocon that let's yeah. see him. Family. That, I think, is something that no matter what culture you're from, that's something we can all come together on for sure. Totally. And I know that's the one of the few things that everybody values pretty much above all else. And so from my perspective, I feel like that's one way that Western cultures or the, this kind of this dominant capitalistic culture that's one way that it can begin, we can come together and maybe begin to decolonize or re-indigenize that worldview is to recognize that all this money and all this ownership, it really comes down to being able to support your family. That's the whole reason why that's important in Western culture is to be able to support your community and like it's just a totally different system yeah. of doing that. How do you think, do you think hmm. that... The, this idea of just like fa everything is family versus some stuff's family and all this other stuff is property. Do you think those kind of worldviews can be come together in any way? Yeah, I think there's a lot to talk about there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's because pretty... there's there's just to me a lot of definitions there, like what's family and all that, and uh, you know trying to move forward but maintain things not just like family but tribalism and your identities within your tribe and your clan and stuff I think that there's enough models but I still feel like there should be some things maintained that could be still separate but I but I don't think that that's not to say that we can't share perspectives and be more understanding in that way hmm. and i do think that family is a good model for how we can connect with each other uh inter-community even if we're different people yeah and i don't know how i don't know how this could work but the idea of replacing this perspective of owning land or owning yeah. this plant to that that's a relative of yours. I don't know how that transition can happen or what that looks like, but it's such a stark contrast. Yeah. Cause I mean, thinking about it just from my perspective, how could I ever think about owning my sister? <laughs> or yeah. my grandma right that just it's just inconceivable that i could own somebody in my family and or even another person at all but really that i mean no matter who it is whether they're quote unquote family they're all, we're all relatives in the end and um i love that there i don't think i'm not sure how many people will see it this way but i i look at evolution the theory of evolution being that expression of in Western science mm -hmm. that we're all family, we're all related. And that's what Darwin was trying to say. And nobody was wanting to have it back then. They're like, no, we're not related to animals. They didn't want any, anything to do with that idea. Mm -hmm. Even though it's totally reductionist and very different than the way we see it. That's like kind of my way, my, in my eyes that's like one of the ways western science or western culture is expressing that need or that reality that we are all connected in some way or another right but i think evolution and the idea of evolution comes along with this linear perspective the mm -hmm. way it was defined is you know we even the people that you know can see trends 
and know that it's something that really happened through natural selection. But they see the monkey going towards the man, you know, and in in a lot of our world's perspective in the dominant society, that's like a linear track to betterness, mm, you know, yeah, the whole idea of progress <clears throat> and that. And and so if you're evolving, then you can de-evolve, you know, and become stupider or something or less fit in some way. Mm. But in reality, it's it's totally more much more of a circle. And within natural selection, there's not any one direction in betterness It's just being suited for your environment so and i think that there is a way to have that perspective the that perspective of being so linear change through the western science perspective as well but you would have to use other ideas other than evolution to talk about natural selection mm -hmm. like the first law of thermodynamics instead like everything is going to change, you know, and we're all just always changing. We've, it's like a natural law that we've seen that things always change and then, and they're not going back exactly how they used to be. And we yeah. haven't observed something else. <laughs> so to me, that is certainly more circular. Mm -hmm. I I agree that I'd never I kind of understood evolution before but this last semester I took a class on anthropology in the very first half of the class basically we studied Darwin and the theory of evolution and we even had to read his first edition of the origin oh, yeah. and and it's a graduate cool class, book. so we weren't yeah. just reading, and you couldn't just skip the reading and show up. Otherwise, you look like an idiot, because at the graduate level, you have to do the reading. Or you just can't, you can't skate by like undergraduate school. But what really kind of blew my mind was how different Darwin was thinking from, or the way it appeared he was thinking from his writing, from most of science at that time, most Europeans. Right. And in a lot of ways, he was trying to build that into it, like that cyclical nature of it. And but you're right, he still had that branch. It was like just a branching where there's it's all going one direction. Mm -hmm. And honestly, though, I think if you were to be alive today and understand things the way we understand them now, he would probably totally agree with you. Yeah, honestly, I think he would, too. And uh, in so many ways, he was challenging that idea of progress, that right. idea that human, especially man, right. like mankind, is the most evolved, most like the epitome <laughs> of evolution. But uh, I don't think that he would his never focus agree was, with that. Yeah, and I, I, don't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that about him. I'd just say that it's the paradigm. Yeah, it's like that, the worldview that, that was stuck after it. You know, uh, not huh. necessarily yeah. what we what he did or wanted to be known, and the, the perspective of him being really groundbreaking at the time, trying to say that there's always some other influence on society that when science is communicated, although it may be true and in a in a good direction, society. There, there needs to be planning for how society is going to receive that mm. in order to change. Because, or then it's like, you know, can't teach evolution in schools, man. Oh, yeah. You know, it's cause, because there's an influence of Christianity on that ideal. So. Huh. I found out that's a totally an American thing, too. Oh, well, yep. That's the last, one of the last countries if not the last country on the planet where that is true. Oh yeah. Where that actually happens. Um, but that gets me thinking the, on the other side of the coin where evolutionism can be dogma too. 
just like you were talking about how there's like kind of that dominant perception that it's linear and that there's that progress that evolution leads to something better Mm -hmm. but really it's i mean we don't know no (laughs) (laughs) we don't really know what's going on and evolution is a pretty crazy idea to begin with just how fantastic the the story of natural selection over millions of years and how it i mean it's just it's mind-blowing in some yeah. ways, it's easier to accept the idea of some omnipotent, all-powerful being coming and putting us here. Yeah, but I think, and I, it could be that, or it could be a blend. Yeah, that's it what I was just thinking. Somebody, both, and right? I think if uh, I think that even just from what I could see around me, you know, I know that I live in a place where things are adapted to their environment. You know, there's self-trimming trees that raise up their branches with really super thick bark and survive fire, you know, mm-hmm. in a place where there's fires. That's super cool. <laughs> yeah. But and and that's really what I can see in front of me, you know, mm-hmm. but I don't think I could try and see uh, a direction in any way that that uh that would be linear for it to get there even you know yeah i think that's what i appreciate about science from my understanding of science anyway is that you you always got to remember that you don't know what you don't know first yeah. off and then also the more questions you answer the more doors and the more questions get opened. Mm-hmm. It's exponential. And so it's really, I love the, I can't remember how the quote goes, but you might've heard it. It's the, or Einstein was talking about like with a flashlight, the larger the periphery of the light becomes, so too does, or no, I got it backwards. <laughs> Basically the larger the, the circle of light gets. Yeah so does the space that of darkness around the right. edge of light. So the more you illuminate the world, the more dark you realize how much darkness there is out there <laughs> yeah. and how much you really don't know. Yeah. And that's what I love about science is it really truly it reveals the just the epicness of the whole of right. this thing we're experiencing that science calls the universe. Yeah. It's crazy. I think it's a really cool concept too. Uh, it's circular and connected to everything. Hmm. Um, that even goes back into like evolution and stuff. Yeah. And the, but, even within our lives, right? There's we evolve our personalities, how we deal with stuff, our emotional. There's so many levels of emotions that evolve as we get older and experience more about life. And speaking of kind of cycles, I was curious, just thinking about your love for birds and how you, a lot of these things came through ceremony. Do you think that has anything to do with how you ended up getting into making flutes? Yeah, somewhat. Um, because when I think about birds, I, I definitely think flutes. Yeah, well, there's a lot of stories related with different birds and creating some of the first flutes, hmm. like of woodpeckers mm-hmm. and the loon. Um, so they have these stories that totally go along with it. The flutes that I make sound like a loon. Uh, or it can make one of the calls of a, a loon uh, just by breathing into it properly, you know. And there's definitely, uh, you know, like a connection I have with them that's more than that, but uh, kind of more private, you know, an in individual experience mm-hmm. with that. So um, I definitely think that there is 
I think there's, you know, maybe something more. Uh, I'm not entirely sure, even, you know. It's uh, after some of the ceremonies that I had when I was going through healing, there was a, a woman, an older woman, not an elder yet, but she's she's getting older. Um, she saw a flute around my head. And I was like, oh, huh, that's cool. She just told me about it. I didn't think it was something super crazy. Mm-hmm. But it, I know that I needed to change who I was and in part of reinventing myself, I totally gave up playing, like, rock, popular music and everything. Uh, but I knew music is still a part of me, so I needed something to have that was healthy. And so I was like, hmm, that's a cool idea. That wouldn't be a bad thing for me, and I could learn how to do it. So I just taught myself, and now I can make flutes. Yeah. <laughs> I know I was really surprised when I first found out that you, you make flutes and they're really well-made flutes too. It's not like you're just a novice. Yeah, they're maker. in tune and sound good. Yeah. <laughs> and that uh, that's just so awesome thinking about how your music, love your love and your passion of music evolved into the, making flutes and how it all came down and now it's the flutes and how so much of this came to you through going back Mm -hmm. to the the ways of your people or of some people that you trusted of the ways of the land is the way i like to think about it and it doesn't always have to be just your people's like ethnically your descent comes from your ethnic background right there's healing power in all, all of people all of our ways but there's almost, and they call it placebo in Western culture. But really, if you believe in it, that you have to meet creator halfway. That's something that I've learned going to ceremonies throughout my life, that nothing happens if you don't believe in it. Nope. There's also the opposite, placebo, where you can convince yourself That's that right. you're sick and you actually become sick. Hmm. Humans uh, are so minds crazy. are powerful. <laughs> yeah. uh, indeed, they are. It's. I try to remember that, and uh, not just stay positive, but just be careful of what kind yeah. of thinking patterns I got in my life because I know that it can really affect you and others. Yeah, yeah. We can all have a huge impact on other people. Um, I've. I feel lucky that I've been able to see that in my life. You know people really changing other people's lives when they're dedicated and trying. Mm -hmm. I've had a lot of mentors that have helped me that were passionate about doing that. And, uh, but that you can totally have the opposite effect. You can negatively impact tons of people. Oh yeah. Just by not being present too. Just by like, if you think about people who, never pursued a passion how many of them could have changed the world for good but were kind of too afraid or didn't have had had too much historically taken from them to have the confidence to try and i think that's a huge part of uh ceremony for me is certainly a sense of cultural identity knowing who i am knowing how it can help me. When I was younger, growing up in Seattle, where the communities are confusing and mixed, I didn't have much sense of my indigenous background. It was a lot harder to get through stuff than it is these days, for sure. Hmm. I know that's a really powerful message, is to find strength in our own cultures. Or in, in a culture, and at a certain point when we're growing up, I mean, when we're kids, we don't have much of a choice what culture we're a part of. But w- when you're an adult, you do, and it is a choice to actually participate. And culture is more something you do than something you think about. 
and something you uh, talk about. It's definitely comes through in your thinking and your talking, but mm-hmm. it's a part of like life, like everyday life, what you do every yeah. day. So yeah, I, uh, there's a lot of power in that, that having that, just that clear identity grounded in a, a culture somewhere, yeah. especially a culture that's relevant to that place. That's so powerful. And I think one of the most powerful messages that I got from you is that in a lot of ways, that's kind of what saved your life, right? Yeah, it is. Mm -hmm. Exactly. (laughs) And so, man, I feel like we could definitely, I mean, we have done this a lot, but just talk for hours (laughs) and there's so much, um, yeah, there's so much to talk about, but kind of thinking about how like the just this overarching message of how culture and family is so important there's this question that Annie and I have been exploring for ourselves but also really feel like we're curious about asking other people a lot as much as possible is if there were three tips or three ideas that you could give a young person to be able to be indigenous in the modern world what would they be and why hmm <laughs> it's kind of a big question it is uh well i think that the biggest thing would to first realize that whoever you are uh being indigenous or not you are enough hmm as a person um you can do it and you can make positive change. Uh, so being able to look in the mirror and love what you see. I think that's the first part for me about it. And being able to share that love with other people. Yeah. The, the next part to me is the modern world is, is pretty hard to live in if you're if you have indigenous perspectives in your head as your way of knowing things and Mm -hmm. your way of relating it can be confusing in this world because a lot of backwards perspectives are our dominant paradigms um so in order to overcome that i would suggest to always be thinking about the relationships around you as much as you can like where things come from where your food comes from where does this chair that i'm sitting on made did some guy drive it from illinois out to montana for it to be put in a store to be bought and got a flat tire that day like what are all the things going on in life that always always considering the relationships between all the interactions that sustain life or make it better even in our modern world just to always be thinking about those relationships because when you think about them a whole bunch uh, that you just start to care on a on a different level and it can help you adjust to something that might seem strange because you know that there's still relationships being maintained. Um, a third one, man, I think that in our current state, um, we should also emphasize community maybe starting with family and coming together as communities stronger for each other um, in order to make the kind of changes that I would like to see from, you know, things like sovereignty issues in Indian country to even global issues like climate change. We need communities to be strong together in order to maintain the relationships that we have to adapt to. Because we live in a, in a changing universe 
It's always changing all the time. And from all of my life experience, like even coming close to death, uh, the one of the most important things in life to remember is that we need each other real bad or we're just dead. <laughs> hmm. But we do need each other. So building those uh, communities to be stronger would be my third piece of advice. Mm, cool. Thank you. Yeah. Those All three of those are really good. Uh, yeah, that's definitely something I've struggled with since I was young is accepting myself, knowing that I am enough. And, and then other people, too, that other, they are enough that I don't need to try and change this person. I can love them for who they are. And yeah, that's a tough one. And I think that that's a good place to start for sure. Mm -hmm. So thank you for coming on the show. I really appreciate your time and that you came on and shared your story. Yeah. Thanks for having me. It's mm -hmm. been a lot of fun. One of my favorite things to do is chat with you for extended periods of time. <laughs> yeah, for real. <laughs> and uh, is there anything else that maybe I missed or is there anything that any, any particular point that you want to uh, touch on before we uh, end the show? You know, I think we had a, a good conversation. I, I got to a point where uh, I could just talk in circles about a lot of this stuff for hours. Yeah. <laughs> Very cyclical, right? Yeah. <laughs> but it's good. That's Indian science right there. Oh, yeah. For sure. <laughs>